0: To episode 23 of Inside the Table, a tabletop RPG talk show, a show in which we talk about the craft of tabletop role-playing games. My name is Marley, you can follow me at minor underscore Lenahan, and my pronouns are he, him, and joining me today is my co-host. Hello, my name is Cole, you can follow me at ice Coal brew, and my pronouns are he, they. Today we are talking about what the hell brings play characters together, but first let's talk about inspirations. Now Cole, you have seen the premiere, most important tabletop event, potentially, of the century. Would you like to talk to us about it?
1: I don't know. It's really the premiere top tabletop event. No, no. It eh. is. (laughs) Uh, I I guess. So, like, yeah, I went and saw the Dungeons & Dragons movie. I went and saw that last weekend with some friends. Had a good time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Was honestly a really good heist movie in the very beginning, and then became more of a fancy base like, a uh, kind of D movie towards the center and towards the end as well which i mm-hmm. thought was very fascinating uh the dialogue itself there were a lot of cuts and jibs from chris pine's character and like exchanges between some of the cast where it felt very it, it felt very much like there were marvel writers in the room it felt very much like yes. i could i could sub this out and be like okay actually i'm watching captain marvel i'm watching dr strange And not a lot would be different outside of there being more dragons and uh, sorcery in a different way. But overall, I think it was a pretty fun movie. I enjoyed it a lot. I liked a lot of the references. Uh, It is currently at $358 million over the weekend in the box office, beating out the Shazam 2 sequel.
0: Mm -hmm. Which I think was easy because that was a flop,
1: wasn't it? It was a flop and like... Scores even worse because like I think everyone's tired of superhero movies. Yeah. And that's why the D movie took took it out too, is because like it's something different, it's refreshing. My DM was in the group as well, and he was like being very nitpicky about like the class and such. He there's still a topic of discussion of like what uh Chris Pine's character was classed as, whether he was a rogue or a barb at the same time, it's like, well, he never really cast magic. I'm like, uh, ah, well some characters play a barb but they don't have magic at all. And he's like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, it doesn't have to. <laughs>
0: Well, you might be surprised, but in the trivia for, uh, the IMDB trivia for, uh, D&D Honor Among Thieves, Wizards of the Coast, which owns Dungeons & Dragons, made stat blocks for the main characters showing their abilities and attributes. Oh. So that's good. I'm going to guess you could probably buy that (laughs) at some point or get access to that so that you could play as these characters. Knowing Hasbro, they probably put it behind a paywall. Yes, probably. Uh, Also, two of the writers uh, worked on Spider-Man Homecoming together um, as writers. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. One of them is John Francis Daly, who is in Freaks and Geeks, I think. He's like an actor guy. He's like the kid Mm -hmm. who looks grumpy from Freaks and Geeks, like that famous uh, face. Mm -hmm. He wrote this film. And that that is possibly why. But they've only yeah. worked on one Marvel film, so it could, it could be fine. But uh, um, Hearing the name John Francis
1: Daly, though, mm. uh, if you follow John F. Daly on Twitter, you'll actually see him talking about some of the legacy effects and process. I loved learning about those after the fact. So when you watch the movie, you get to see a dragonborn in there. You get to see an Erakroka, which is a bird person. Uh, you see uh, gnomes and halflings running about in the city. Elves. You see a dwarf. Uh, they do, like, a really good close-up of a dwarf at, like, the three-quarters <laughs> mark in the movie. and What? <laughs>
0: Just, like, one close-up?
1: Yeah, you don't see dwarves that often. You get them referred to, and then you see one in, like, okay. kind of towards the climax of the film. And yeah. I'm- I swear to God, looking at this, I looked at it and went, that looks like a World of Warcraft render to me. I don't know why.
0: I'm going to Google what dwarf looks like. Because I just like the idea that they just did a close-up on a, on a dwarf with no context. I don't think mm. that's what happened. It's not what happened.
1: It was, like, in a very important scene, uh, showing, you know, how dangerous these creatures were that were in there. Uh, but, yeah, they had Dragonborn, Croca.
0: you know, trying to show it, but it's mostly human and elves. That's all you get to see around there. Uh, yeah, It is a puppet, I'm guessing, looking at this one. Maybe.
1: Maybe. That makes sense. Or at least, like, had a separatable like a big mask around separated features with like a little bit of fleshy bits on top of it but yeah uh john daly shares like some of the practical effects that they used and i'm really loving the one of uh how they had the dragonborn talk yes which is the uh puppeteer uh saying the lines and then the 3d model that they were using was just uh emanating the effects of it so you had a pop. it's basically like a really well-advanced puppet that was talking the entire time. And then the Eric Croco wings are really fucking cool and how they walk. Yeah, Just being very physical in that. I love this return of, like, practical effects and how unique and different they are.
0: Which is always interesting just because, like, there has been a lot of stuff recently where many companies, including Marvel, have have defaulted to special effects and to that kind of thing rather than making it physically. And, yeah, it's really nice to see, like, behind-the-scenes footage where there is, like, a lot of real things in this setting. And, like, I like puppets. I think puppets are cooler than than computer-generated things. And especially just because, like, whatever, 10 years ago, there was the whole, what was it, the the smalg thing with, with the Hobbit? Yep. How uh, there was, like, there was Benedict Cumberbatch going, wah, 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 and they turned it into a dragon. And it's, it's really nice to see they're using similar technology here, but applying it to, like, a, a puppet. For this uh, dragonborn thing, mm. um, I still remember
1: the joke going around about Disney where like all the Marvel movies had to take turns with the same green sheet from one of the director's mom's house because uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what they all use for CGI. Yeah, uh, overall, it's really fun, and uh, if you do end up going to see it, you will see some like really nice, interesting uh, touchstones. They bring back the red dragon from, like, the Dungeons and Dragons cover of old, like, I think it's advanced d or something like that. But yeah. the red dragon on the front is one of my favorites, and they make an appearance in the movie. And I, I don't want to spoil it, but you should just see it, because this is, this was, like, the moment where there was, like, a pop-up of
0: this dragon appearing, where people, like, cheering and laughing at the same time. I also found a bunch of... I found some goofs from the IMDb trivia page. Ooh. In Dungeons and Dragons! Bards are a, basically a jack-of-all-trade to straddle the line between classes. They have some rogue abilities, are competent fighters, and they have access to magic spells that can damage, heal, and even transform themselves into different am- uh, animals. Edgin, Edgin? Is that how you pronounce Edgen. the name? Edgin? Edgin. Uh, it's not Edgin, right? Yeah. No. Uh, uh, would have been much more useful than a planner and whacking people with his loot. So that's a little goof that they they made when they made this film. Yeah, that was
1: the exact complaint my DM made it was just like I don't know what his class was cuz like he used none of his special abilities. He was not doing stealth. I'm like, "Well, you know, he was in the beginning being very sneaky."
0: Yeah. I I I I am happy I'm not happy this movie exists. I hate it, and I think it's going to make people more interested in Dungeons and Dragons, and I don't like that. There're better games out there. <laughs> But that's just me. I haven't seen this film, films. So I don't have any strong opinions about it. But um, it's what I expected, that it was going to be a very good film and people would really enjoy it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, One of the weirdest complaints I got about it was it was too silly for a Dungeons and Dragons movie. And I'm like, hmm. and my immediate retort to that was, well, that's kind of the formula they have to go with now. They need to, if they drop the comedy, it'd be a closer to a B-tier action movie than anything else.
0: Yeah. But could you imagine like a DC, like a Justice League version of this? Oh god. Yeah, no, I'm thinking like Suicide
1: Squad uh No, it would still have the same level of comedy builds. like Squad S- was silly.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking You're thinking like a man of steel. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I would like hate- all my family is dead. My name is Drizd Erden. You know, I have a mm. two sabers of, called Steel and whatever else, and I have a panther. I am the most serious person. I have to run around with my little dwarf friend who is the mayor and a thousand years old or whatever. I and
1: (laughs) I I would love it. I would absolutely (laughs) love it if there was just like a side a like a side series from the movie where they just Mm -hmm. like look at people all the like home style, like, oh yeah, no, my character is actually a clown who is traveling to become like the world's best juggler and then has like a dramatic uh tone shift where the clown actually saved the party and sacrificed himself in yeah uh, a legendary moment or something like that. I suppose.
0: I'm yeah. feeling okay.
1: This is going to be a franchise,
0: right? Oh, probably. I think they're playing for a second one right now. Yeah, easily. This has been very successful. It's going to keep going. I don't. Uh, I don't want there to be like a franchise of this. I wanted to fail and burn, but it won't. Anyway, that's that's the thing. <laughs> is so the, 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 the tabletop RPG event of the, of the, of the year, of the century. Um, <laughs> I, meanwhile, have been checking out a video game called uh, Dredge, which has been, I think, doing really well on social media. I've seen a lot of people sort of play and doing, like, little things about it. Uh, the general gist of it is it's kind of like it's a fishing game, uh, and it's a game where you organize your inventory. I'm a big fan of Resident Evil, specifically because of the way they do maps and the way they do the inventory, where you're just adjusting things and making sure it all fits. And the game is basically like you have a fishing ship, you go around, you do fishing, you put things on your boat, but it also has like a cosmic horror thing. So if you go around at night and you go sailing around, you'll see like a shadow of like a uh, a ship ship that looks exactly like yours coming around with light. And when it gets closer, you realize it's not a ship, but it's a giant fish come to damage your cargo. And if your Mm -hmm. cargo gets damaged, then you get, like, you lose space, you know, fish fall off overboard and stuff like that. And yeah. You basically go around doing fishing, you gather resources, you get money, you improve your boat, you improve the engine, you do all that sort of thing. And you also, like, do all these, like, fun, like, little mysteries here and there. Like, someone's, like, I have a package waiting for me. Can you please? Oh no, I'm delivering a package to such and such. And so you get the package. It's, it's bursting at the seams as this like blackish ooze is creeping out. And you get told to bring it to the dock worker at, at a uh, little marrow, um, which is the place across the bay. Mm-hmm. And you go there, you give it to this person and they don't pay you. They take it and they rush into a room and lock the door behind them. Oh my God. And you're like, I'm supposed to be paid. And the next time you see them, they have the the ooze just sort of dripping out of their mouth, and they're just kind of like standing there, and they don't respond when you talk to them. And it's sick. It's basically like, there are like five main sort of island areas. There's like, I think it's archipelago. Is that the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for? I think so. That sounds right. There's just groups of islands. Uh, and you just go to like, there's like a cool place with ruins and volcanic areas. There's like a mangrove section. There's... And there's, like, all these, like, horrible monsters at the center of it. Like, there's this one place. Like I don't really want to spoil it because cause the joy of it is just like, oh, I'll just check out this cool island and see what happens. And then you just get absolutely wrecked by the most surprising and strange creature that's just there destroying you. And I've just I've just had a blast. Like, I basically bought it the day it came out, um, which was just a couple days ago, and I finished it that day. And I think it's, like, a 10-hour game. And I just sat there doing fishing, doing all these things. And it was just so much fun. It's like, I love adjusting all the little, like finding the best route for all these things. I like knowing where to put the crab pots so I can collect them on the way out. I like putting things in just the right way so I can fill up my hull entirely full of these things. And I like like all the weird like uh, maritime horror thing because it's just like... Obra Din. It's got Obra Din vibes. It's got uh so many things. Like it's it's just this this thing that I've been incredibly excited for. Just like this weird stuff happens at sea. Like you go out, you go sailing, and then strange stuff starts happening. You see ghosts. You see strange creatures. You know your um, I don't know, like you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it's been so much fun, like having this game. And sitting down and playing it, just being like, "Oh, this is rules. This rules. This is cool." And I also get to set up some inventory, so that's been that's been a joy. Good old Dredge. I yeah, Dredge is a game I keep hearing about. and
1: I'm like, I should play that at some point. Mm. I just never get around to it. But I really love that these games we keep stumbling upon that have like a that just all have
0: the hey, we're gonna send you out to the ocean. Good luck, fucker. And it, it's it's great because it's like that. But it also like you don't have cannons like the the thing that I love about it is like so many recent like so many games nowadays much more well not really so many but like a lot of games don't have any combat built in and it's all about sort of like going through and experiencing the story and the closest dredge comes to having like combat in any regard is like getting attacked by fish or trapping the fish in some kind of a trap and that's it like there's no cannons there's no things like that. And it's such a fun way of experiencing things because it's like, it's a survival horror, basically. It's oddly close to Resident Evil, despite not being anything like Resident Evil, where it's just like you're traveling around and messing with things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a great little thing. And I've been following this game for like ages. I think I like started following them like a year ago when I saw like some of the art of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think stylistically, it's like the concept art for Dishonored. Or something where like people are just so weird and blocky and not blocky but just kind of like very distinctive shapes it's like they're made out of clay
1: like oil painted kind
0: of yeah and they're all weirdos and i love them Mm -hmm. uh the stories are great because they're really kind of short and sweet um and it's it's oddly kind of fast paced with that because you just Mm -hmm. like you pick up a story you go pick up a thing you come back in maybe like five minutes and then you experience this fun little like short story about maritime horror, but I also found that like I was able to play it for ten hours and just listen to podcasts as I played, and it was so much fun. And there's like a uh, a bestiary or something like a a list of all the fish you can tack uh to that you can catch, and it, I can just imagine like losing hours and hours and hours and hours to it as you just like sail around and try and fill out and know which time of day you pick things up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. It's like a really cool, like little fishing horror game that I love. Um, and I, so absolute shout out to that. If you want to try it, it's really good. I think um,
1: it's twenty five dollars everywhere, which is a really good price, honestly. Yeah,
0: and it's—is it scary? Let me think about this. Um, it—it's got like horror themes. It's like, yeah. Sailing around at night sucks. You, like, <laughs> go out and you're just like, there is things out here, I'm gonna get attacked, I'm gonna lose all my things, I might crash and lose my progress and go back. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen, like, Let's Plays of this, I watched, like, half a Let's Play of this entire game before I bought it, and people were, like, screaming. People were like, ah, this thing is here, that's so scary, or whatever, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, care. I'm looking at some
1: of the reviews on Steam right now, I really love this straight-up poem someone wrote of let any fish who meets my gaze learn the true meaning of fear. For I am the harbinger of death, the ban of creatures subaqueous. My rod is true and unwavering as I cast into the, the aquatic abyss. Yeah. A man scorned by these uncaring this is a long one, find solace in the sea, my only friend, the worm upon my hook, wiggling, writhing, struggling to surmount the moral pointlessness that permeates this barren world. I am alone, I am empty, and yet a fish.
0: Yeah. just I <laughs> that was not my experience. <laughs> I was not very powerful. I was just, like, a bumbling fisherman moving from place to place. And (laughs) it was, like, yeah, it was scary, but I'm just, like, Mm -hmm. I was not the master of my domain. I'm, like, yeah, I'm a small little boat. Like, you have a very cute little boat (laughs) that plays out like that, but, like, I want to see how this person plays if they're at all frightening. Mm -hmm. Because you get spells. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but, like... Wait, what? You get spells? Like, you get, like... Oh, uh, like, the first one you get is, like, you get like kind of like a sprint thing where you can like push your engines to go really 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 fast um i mean i kind of like there are so many weird abilities that just kind of like turn up and you don't know what's coming but yeah you have like weird special powers because you're helping up this a weird uh collector who like asks you to collect certain things which is the main story of the game and then when you bring it back to the collector the collector reads through like the, the book and gives you weird powers in order to gain the power of the sea And move better. And it's it's fun. It's kind of it's it's wild as it goes. But uh I I would say, Cole, you would love this. I would say that this would be a really fun game for you.
1: Um I'm debating on buying it now, actually. Like I'm yeah, gonna look at my finances first, but I'm definitely gonna probably pick it up. (laughs) I think uh I could probably run this on my computer too, which will be really nice for streaming. Yeah. Mm. But if I pick it up on my PlayStation 5, it's a few dollars cheaper because then I can get the DLC with it too.
0: Yes, the DLC. So the, I love the DLC specifically because it is uh, in the game when you go to the collector's island, there is a door and if you click on it, it says it is locked and you knock on the door and it doesn't open. And my understanding is the DLC gives you a key and you open that thing and that's some other extra content, which I don't even know about. I don't know what that is. I didn't get the DLC. But I kind of love that the fact that there's like potentially a whole other story that comes from just having the key to a door. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting way of approaching that. So, yeah, that's been inspiring the hell out of me. I've been thinking about games for that a lot. Um, And yeah, that's Stretch. So let's jump into tabletop RPGs we've been checking out. How should we jump into this? Should you want to have one and then I'll have one and then you have one?
1: Yeah, let's let's start with one that a lot of people are fairly familiar with, I'm gonna say, which is yes. it which will be Scum and Villainy for me. It's a Fortune of Dark role playing game, it's sci-fi based, it has a lot of notes that remind me of like Firefly, uh Battlestar Galactica, uh if you look at like um Star Wars uh Rogue, I think it's the Disney anime one, or like Rogue One would be a good example, solo. Oh, do you mean uh Rebels? Rebels. Thank you. Rebels yep. is what I'm thinking of. But Scam and Villainy does a fantastic uh, like conversion of the Blades and Dark system into sci-fi and gives it that note. And the main thing that kind of made me think about this was just the crew creation, where instead of having, you have all seven of these playbooks to pick your crew, do you want to be assassins? Do you want to be wh- whispers? They say, uh, your crew is actually based on what kind of ship you get. So, you get three of them right now, but I bet you there are supplements out there. I've been trying to find yeah. some to pair with this, and I just really wanted to focus on like reading about the Stardancer, the Cerberus, and the Fire Drake. Mm-hmm. It's really nice because like the ship you pick as well also kind of sets the tone for what kind of story you're telling. Yeah. You know, so like if you're picking the Stardancer, think you're more about the Firefly world. You're going out and you're going to pick up uh, illegal goods, you're going to... Uh, run blockades, you're going to smuggle people around, Uh, you might get a VIP mission, or you might be stealing stuff from people. Who knows? You might be stealing from VIPs. Yeah. You know, it's got that nice stuff of like the dark hyperspace lane maps that no one really knows about. You have uh, the weird Lucky Charms, you have ship papers that every smuggler or illicit merchant needs. You also have like ship gear for all these things,
0: where it has like, you know, cannons and stuff like that. and You have science Mm phase and all these different things where you're like upgrading your ship system as it goes right
1: oh yeah and that's part of like the crew level up because like also what kind of ship you pick will also start you off with like how many gambits which and uh scum and villainy gambits are basically like a asset that players can use to give themselves another dice to roll (laughs) and you uh you get more gambits by rolling i believe uh Risky? If you... Yeah, you roll risky, and if you get a six, you put a gambit in. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Star Dancer, because it's a supposed to be a blockade runner, you focus more on your shields, uh, on your hull, and you focus more on the engine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, getting your ship to be faster than others. But if you want to get into fight with folks, you can do the Cerberus, which has a grappler arm, and that, to me, feels like... Uh... Did you ever watch Outlaw Star no. on uh, Toonami? no uh outlaw star was about that cowboy bebop would be another good example mm-hmm. where like you're going out to find bounties and such and the like i do really like these the crew playbooks because it makes it really easy for me to go to a table and say so y'all said you want to play sci-fi do you want to play do you want to play more star wars rebels and like uh or solo and start being like freedom fighters you're trying to break back the peel back the curtain of tyranny mm-hmm. Or do y'all want to play a bit more Firefly? Do you want to smuggle stuff and then also get in trouble with the Empire from time to time? But mostly you're here to smuggle and make money and make goods. Or do you want to go back to the good old Cowboy Bebop days and, you know, run into a casino, find an old rival who uh, disrupts your score because they're also going after the exact same score you are? Mm-hmm. Also, I guess I could probably
0: push Mass Effect here as well, too. Which which playbook would that be? Because they're like, they're, they are the enemy. I feel like in a Star Wars, right? Yeah, they'd probably be... Fire Drake? I'm looking at rebels and hegemonic criminals, but they have things like, your crew are all been toughened by cruel experience. Uh, Your ideology is especially appealing. (laughs) I mean, if if you just, like, re, re-flavored, like, Fire Drake, you would probably have the opportunity to be like, we're the evil money servants?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely, like, a, uh, there is definitely, like, okay, y'all want to play something like Mass Effect, so y'all want to be
0: more cop-like. Yes. Um. <laughs> I, I feel like we've talked about this, and there's, like, a cop faction for, um, Scum and Villainy, or something. No, no, it was the, the cops thing for Blaze of the Dark
1: cop things for Blades in the Dark where, like, eventually something goes wrong and then, you know, they have their starting abilities from the cop playbooks, but they become criminals in the end anyways. Mm-hmm. No, Fire Drake is probably one of the cool ones. One thing I'm also noticing too is, like, all the ships have their own different size. Yeah. Uh, Like, the typical one you run into is a medium size, which is a Star Dancer and the Cerberus. Mm-hmm. And those allow you to land on the planet. However, I'm still I'm imagining a four-person crew running a Fire Drake, which is a large yeah, is not allowed to land on a planet. Yeah, cannot because gravity, which I think is really really interesting. It does get ship gear of a shuttle, fortunately, mm-hmm. but you could really just fuck over your crew by having someone steal that. Yeah, and just scum and villainy always caught my eye, and a big part of that is I'm talking to my D and D group and I said, "Hey, would y'all like to play anything different after we finish up this intro module?" Because I know we, uh. My DM's partner wants to learn how we play D&D, and so we gave her a chance to check out 3.5, and she's getting used to the rules of that. She's playing a little rogue, and uh, one of the other players and I had been talking about doing a sci-fi session for a long time. And I said, yeah, no, I have a good playbook that we can go to. It's going to be a bit more scene setting. It's going to be a bit more narrating what you do instead of just rolling to see what happens and mm. that kind of thing. And I could run like a four to five session thing of that or even shorter if needed. But I'd want them to like get a feel for the downtime because I never got to do that when I ran Blades in the Dark for them. We just kind of wrapped up quickly. Yeah. After one session. And like I said, big reason I picked this book is just because I was I'm getting back to read it again for maybe the third time to try to remind myself of everything. Because I also just really love. The plan- Like, how much it encourages you to just hop planets as much as possible.
0: That's, that's the other system thing that I found really interesting. Um, like, I think I've said before that, like, I have, like, reservations about Scum and Villainy because it is very close to Blaze in the Dark. It doesn't make that many changes to the core cool rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I always really liked is the fact that there's different systems. And so, as opposed to Blaze in the Dark, where you have, like, one heat level for everything... You basically can leave a system and go to another system if your heat gets too high, or something like that, which I think is pretty cool.
1: Absolutely, I also love that it allows uh folks to, it does this interesting thing where like the base uh character is going to be some kind of humid, mm-hmm. uh just in general, but you're allowed to play an alien as well, and I think this is where songs from the dusk. Uh, Songs for the Dusk got their rule set of just like, oh, yeah, no, you can play anything you want. Uh, Instead of your starting ability, change it out to this and just give it stress whenever you do something.
0: Which I always feel weird about. Like, just the idea that, like, humans are better at a starting ability. And, like, the fact that aliens don't have that starting ability is weird to me. But I I like how they approach those kind of abilities. Like, the Xeno thing is like, you know, you can push yourself to do a cool thing.
1: Yeah, I think like the big the big ones to push are just like it gives you a plus one D on a fat mm-hmm. uh, plus one dice or a plus one effect. And some examples like, oh, because you're an alien, because you're, a xeno you can breathe fire. Yeah. Just push yourself. And that's basically the whisper ability of Tempest. Yeah. Of I throw lightning at them. Yes. Which is really cool. I love the lightning ability. I love flavor changing it to to fit different situations as well, because I think I uh, I did that to convert. My uh group's d and d characters and two of blades in the dark uh <laughs> char- uh characters at one point for shits and giggles. yeah, I think I sent you this at one point. I still have this. maybe it was must have been a while ago though.: It must have been a while. I can probably find that in a little bit. Mm.
0: but uh in the meantime, what have you been checking out? um I have been checking out a little game. Called Skyfarer, Sunless Skies RPG by Grant Howard and Christopher Taylor. I have intentionally focused this 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 episode on maritime horror kind of things. Um and this is uh this is a game set in the Fallen London universe. Um are you familiar with the Fallen London universe? I'll give a summation anyway, but like I- do you know what that is? I do know what it is, but that's because I used to listen to a lot of Magnus Archive. Yes.
1: And because I was so behind, I was basically getting ads for Fallen London every single episode I listened to for like in a six to seven hour span, because that's how uh,
0: how often I listen to Magnus Archive. I would like I don't like ads in podcasts ever, but I feel like I would really like to hear like a Fallen London ad because that would just be good. But yeah, to 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 give people a summary of what Fallen London is... Uh the the base game is this browser-based game where it's it's like the late Victorian era kind of thing. A bunch of bats pick up London and take it below ground to somewhere near hell. What a fucking wild premise. <laughs> there are lots of weird things happening. There's like devils wandering around with strange colored eyes. Uh there are mushroom people. There are all kinds of weird things. It's it's a, a narrative-based game. It's very text-based. Uh and and the way it works is you basically like have a character, uh, you wander around the city and you mess around with various things and you accumulate strange resources like rumors or like uh uh bad luck. And when you get enough of them, then a story event unlocks and you sort of pursue that story and it's like you're a chef, how do you how do you like serve the best dinner or whatever? or, like, you're involved with some, like, you know, Victorian intrigue, and it's very strange, it's very difficult to explain, but it's got a very cool vibe to it. Um, there was there was two, or, and now possibly three, games that came off of it. The first one is uh, Sunless Seas, uh, in which you play as a Z captain. You're basically, like, the Fallen London is beside the sea, and so you just go out in a little submarine, and, like, just kind of, like, move around, goes from place to place, deliver resources, do little things here and there. And uh, it's it's the same kind of tread thing where, like, there's horrible things out there, you lose sanity, you can, like, starve and die and have to eat your crew and all of this kind of things happen. You can also go to an island and just be like, oh, there's a revolution between uh, guinea pigs and rats and you have to decide whose side you're on and you just basically play out, like, that little thing on one of the islands. Uh, and then they made a game called Sunless Skies. And uh, in that one, you leave the sea, and you go up to the stars. And the sun has gone out, as I understand it, and the British Empire is expanding to the stars and taking over this sort of thing. And so that game is it came out, like, only a couple of years ago. Um, it's really good-looking. It's a really refined version of the sunless seas kind of engine and like what's going on there um and you basically have a uh a, a a train that flies through the sky and you go from place to place you deliver all these messages you influence factions you, you do all this kind of thing and it's really cool you play as a captain who uh basically you pick the their uh their title which could be like like Mr, Mrs, Captain, uh, Lord. It has like a really interesting way of approaching gender in which case it like really like it's very broad with how it does it all and it's really good Uh, and you have like a desire that you want to complete like a little background. And to go to my main topic to introduce all of you to all this thing is uh, Grant Howard and Christopher Taylor made this game. ...called Skyfarer, in which you play the crew of this ship. Um, the rules are explicitly like, you cannot play the captain. Um, I'll read out quickly the thing about the captain, because I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, the captain is played by the GM, not a player. This is to ensure that everyone in the player group has a roughly equal authority... ...especially in their given fields, and avoids one player giving orders to the others and expecting to be obeyed. In addition... The captain is unable to carry out their normal duties for much of the game. This is to give the players freedom of choice in how to approach the challenges they face, but also to avoid them leaning on the captain for advice. Otherwise, there's a risk they might end up simply performing actions that the GM asks them, which isn't much fun. Why is the GM, sorry, why is the captain out of action? That's up to the GM. And it has like a list of like potential reasons, like, incompetent i remember reading this i remember reading this so long ago yeah and i love the
1: different ideas behind it it's 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 fascinating
0: and it feels like like reading through it it's it's a lot like uh, uh lasers and feelings which similarly has a thing like the core thing is the captain's out of out of duty and you have to sort of like take over it but like my experience with uh fallen london and and sunless seas and sunless skies is that in that game you play as the captain um and like all these things are things that can happen to you i think like in sunless seas you start off as the first mate and your captain like talks about like some horrible thing like talks about like the stars the stars the stars and then like burns up and like right in front Mm -hmm. of you and you're just like oh what the hell and then you become the captain you're like i have this mission for my captain to complete and i don't know what's going on and so it's really cool to sort of see this game approach that fun core uh uh story element i guess mechanic and sort of like run with it um as as plays you can play as the first officer the quartermaster the gunner the engineer the signaler the navigator stoker mascot etc you can you can play as a little animal which is great i always like that in a game and yeah it's really it's a really neat little game uh it has a lot of like really cool mechanics that i'm just like oh that's sick that's really cool like it has a thing called uh is it conditions no it's not conditions it has it has like base stats like in the game there is uh things like uh iron is your ability to confront and overpower mirrors investigate and discern veils hearts etc and uh this game also has a thing called qualities where it's like personality and quirks like uh strong-willed subtle curious grizzled kind-hearted which can either give you a plus one or a negative one to the role and i'm like that's cool it's also something that's in um alas for the no it's also something that's in as the sun forever sets uh the 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 stats in that and so i'm just like oh that's so cool i wonder if this is where that came from and there's things like you get cool conditions like you can be well armed which can be great in certain situations if you're like in a fight, that could also be negative if you are like trying to be peaceful or something you walk into a situation. It can also be disarmed in as part of the as a consequence. And and yeah, it is it is a cool little system with like a lot of weird little like mechanics here and there. I'll also very quickly talk about, very quickly I talk about advancement uh, which happens when you see a wonderful a dreadful and wonderful thing like it's not like you you're working towards achieving a goal it's not like you're training it's just when you see a bizarre thing that makes you stop in your tracks you decide like okay what do i do now how do i change Mm -hmm. um which i think is really cool I do have to say the art on this game is very, very pretty. I like
1: how the character sheet looks. Yes. I like how it's kind of slightly grayed out. And then the train, the locomotives, I should say. Yes. Uh, The different varieties you can select and how they have like a nice top-down view of each of them. So cool.
0: Yes, it is. It is amazing. A lot of this art is taken directly from the game. Um, I think it's worth, like, I think I literally, when I was, before I bought uh, uh, Sunless Skies, I just went onto a website which just had uh, images of the UI, like, examples of the UI, and it's so cool. It's just, like, lovely to look at. Uh, uh, sunless Seas have kind of, like, not as good of a, as a layout, and they kind of, like, sat down and like, let's make this look great uh, for sunless uh, skies, and it's incredible. Uh, just Google sunless uh, skies. Uh, to check it. I'm that looking
1: and looking now. I just got one of the screen caps for the Elitheria trailer. Yeah, which was for uploaded in July of 2018. Yes. And I, if you don't like holes, if you have a fear of holes yes. on the body, don't look at it. But also, it's very
0: cool. It's 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 really cool. Really good art. But I will quickly talk about a thing that is not as good with this game. Which is the fact that this is a game that appears to be written for people who know what Sunless Skies is. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense, because presumably that's why you found it. Um, I think I found it in one of the bundles that were released uh, once upon a time.
1: Um, I think that that sounds right. Yeah, bundle for racial justice and inequality two years ago.
0: Which is like, I sort of like, I, uh, it was one of those things where I downloaded it and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I saw it with some of these skies. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I didn't realize this was the game that existed. Uh, and I was like, really on board because I am a big fan of this. Um, a limit to these kind of things is that if you don't know what this is, you're going to come across a lot of weird terms that you're not quite going to be able to jump into. Like, it provides mm-hmm. some resources, it provides like, uh sunless guys on TV tropes, uh, the discord and stuff like that. But like if for instance, you come across um, a battle scarred Tackety veteran fighting a war others would rather ignore, or hunting a scorn fluke or a and it has a lot of references to the kind of weird things you would encounter in this in this game. and it doesn't provide a definition of this. like this isn't a source book, this is like 21 pages long. It's a very short sort of thing. And if everybody at the table knows Sunless, uh Sunless Skies in a way better than I do, then this would be a really approachable thing. But it's not a thing that you can just sort of pick up and play. Like I feel like there's a lot of work to sort of get the tone and all this sort of thing. Um, I wonder how easy this is to GM. Um, the the game is basically like you open up in a really cool scene. Where like you have a crisis um, and you just basically sort of play through it. Um, you deal with a with a problem, your captain is is out of it, and uh, you basically go around on the sea and explores various things while events happen. Uh, the mechanics for like in like in play is good, but I feel like the GMing sections might not be as strong. like this is the this is the honey Heist thing where it's a really fun game mm. to play. But GMing it might be a little hard. I haven't played it myself. I could be talking out of my ass. But like my impression from reading it is, it's just like, oh, that might be hard to do. I'm looking through the comments. I'm seeing comparison,
1: a comparison on Wavum to uh, Fate and Powered by the Apocalypse, which those can be very difficult to GM unless mm. you're comfortable in those systems. So I, I can see that. I can see where it would be difficult.
0: Yeah, but having said that, there's a lot of mechanics in it that are just like. Oh, this is really good. Like this is this is Grant Howard and Christopher Taylor. Like, whenever they approach a system, they do interesting things with it. Like I was thinking recently about um the way that like Heart and Spire approaches like people working together um as a mm. community is a is very interesting. And the way that this game approaches like a lot of the core themes of Sunless Skies and Sunless Seas, of like here is some of the horrible stuff that happens and here are some of the the consequences, and here are some of the the traits you can get, and um, I like that. I think this game is really interesting. I think reading through this game and going through the mechanics of it is a hundred percent worth it, even though it might be sort of like difficult to play if you don't have a good familiarity with Sunless Skies, which is again a given. Like you probably should know the Skies before you play it, but like I want to sit down and play this with like complete strangers to the system and have this be like a really fun welcome. To to that universe, um, which it isn't as much, unfortunately. Yeah. And yeah, that's 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 my thing. Yeah. What have you been checking out? Yeah, so the other game I checked out oh, actually just
1: released uh, this past April Fool's Day, mm-hmm. and, and um, I've I've honestly just gotten a chance to read it today. I love it. It is a more a stir from Briar Sovereign. Mm-hmm. So uh, drop the U R. It's no longer R. It's a more. Because you love uh the first R, oh,
0: not the second R, and think yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh God, my joke fell flat. Anyways, no, it was good, it was is- good.
0: It's just it was just I uh, was the facts compelled me, because otherwise it would be
1: armor. <laughs> armor. Yeah. Yeah. But uh this is a romance toolkit for armor advent from mm-hmm. Briar Sovereign. And uh where Gazelle basically uh took time to release a nice little supplement just for fun for shits and giggles essentially but it's essentially a a supplement to your game where it will allow for more romantic scenes it changes up uh interactions whenever you go to a new location and also new rival mechanics as well too uh which I really love. Yes. So in armor advent there are playbook moves that don't really belong in any playbook called cantrips and these cantrips can be taken for anyone by any advancement uh one of my favorite ones that's been added is called one in every port yes when the carrier or just the party arrives in a new settlement you may declare you have a past love interest there choose two they want you to spend time with them and not because they are unable to help with anything dangerous they've fallen in with the authorities since or were there with them to begin with or you left them on bad terms which is a really fun cantrip and leaves to a lot of opportunities there. Yeah. And, uh, basically this is a supplement meant to involve more romantic entanglements, get things a little bit messier, both on the ground game for the players. And then in the downtime conflict turn as well, too, because they encourage, uh, conflict scenes such as the fatal, fateful counter. You and another volunteer have private time and whether you are a member of the cause or the authority or both or neither, It's very fascinating because this is going to be during the conflict turn, which means it's going to impact the story overall. There is something that's going to be going on in the background with these two meeting and uh, challenging each other and spending a night together or breaking each other's hearts. Something going on with that. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of the rival's expanded portion of this called Hand and Unlovable Hand. Yes, When you commit to a gravity clock with your rival, you may surrender your character to the director. Create a new wayward faction that represents your character and your rival, splitting off from the cause or the authority to find their own way. And I fucking love that. I love the whole, uh, you know what? Yeah, we will run off together and make our own farm.
0: Yeah. Fuck, we're still in the conflict, though. But also, there is the ability to get over it, which is when you abandon a gravity clock with your rival... You may instantly kill them or have them instantly kill you or both. If they kill you or both of you die, your next character starts with six spotlight, which is a resource they can spend. Right. Yep. And I thought that's very funny. It's a nice
1: (laughs) way to just really like if I was to run a stream game of Armourster. Yes. I would I would actually after checking the table, I would encourage them to like look in the supplement. Mm. And then if they say, well, yeah, I have a rival. I'm like, cool. Can you look at these and just let me know when you want to trigger any of these moves, real quick? Yes, yes. And like, yeah. It, it's also great because, like, if there's ever a point where someone says, "Hey, I can't really play anymore. I don't have time." I'm like, "Cool. Do you want to get over it, or do you want to hand it on a level behind this? <laughs> <laughs> you want to run off with your rival
0: and have yeah. that, or
1: do you want them to kill you next scene? Because we can do that, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Bri- Briar Sovereign for playing this. I so I know Friends of the Table record like super ahead of time. I hope <laughs> they get to this in like a couple months in Armorster. Yeah. And they just go ham on it, because I think that would be very enjoyable. I but yeah. We will see. We will see what happens with that.
0: It's it would be weird if they don't mention this. Um It would be weird. I don't know if there's any rivals in that
1: game yet. Not yet. Not that we've seen, but we know there will be some there just because the previous season of partisan.
0: Yes. Um, and yeah, and I really, I really like this specifically because um, it is one of these April Fool jokes that I love where it's like, here is a solid mechanic that is like, here is like a genuinely cool game. There was like mm-hmm. this game. And then I think there was also like a Sonic game. It came out, and I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> I like that there's the murder of Sonic that comes out and isn't a proper thing. It's more funny than someone's like, oh, what if I did this? And they don't do it. Mm-hmm. I like that this is just like a like legitimately good uh, expansion, which is available for download, or you can buy it for $6.90, which I thought was funny. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I also love that. Uh In a similar vein, when I was actually playing Rocket League on uh last Friday, or last Saturday during April Fool's, uh, the team over at Psyonix went in and changed the messages for a quick chats for everyone. Mm-hmm. So typically, people would say stuff like, What a save, nice shot, in a very toxic way. Yeah. But it changed up to uh, Cheerio, I'm very proud of you. You're doing <laughs> great. Uh, just make it super positive. And then there were like two commands that did a rickroll of just like never going to give you up, never going to let you down, and yeah. run around and desert you. Like, those were two separate, uh, two to three separate commands you could hit at the same time. It was always really fun whenever someone was trying to say, what a save. And it's just like, I'm really proud of you. You're doing your best. I'm really proud of you.
0: Yeah, that's nice. More games should have that.
1: More games should have that. But then, you know, people will abuse it and make it toxic somehow.
0: Yeah. Rocket League.
1: (laughs) Rocket League. Um, I can't say that. Challenge everything. (laughs) <laughs> I also do.
0: Uh, I actually didn't look at the new soldier moves. Uh, They're really good. Like I, I, um, I really like the poster. What is the thing? The poster something. The poster channeler was actually the one I was just looking at. Yeah, your impressive physique, natural
1: charms, or something else have made you a target of affections within and without the cause. Teens hang cam- canvas scrolls of you on their walls. Authority members get told off for effusing about you, and models of your austere or other equipment sell like hotcakes. It's incredibly difficult for you to not get recognized for who you are, but as a trade-off, most of the revenue from your image feeds back to the cause. Whenever the cause chooses an outcome during the conflict turn, the option for a supplier faction is always considered an available <laughs> choice. It's so cool. I love that. I love that. I want to know where that idea came from, because I I feel like that's a Gundam thing.
0: I mean, it's it's always a thing where it's just like, um like, I think there was a thing with like, uh, Mission Impossible in the 1960s where everyone who's a part of that group is like a celebrity outside of the, the intelligence service but like mm-hmm. whenever they go anywhere no one recognizes the world famous magician or like the famous strongman or the singer or whatever they're just like oh yeah this is just a normal person this is just Ethan Hunt and um I think he's an actor or something and so I like the fact that it's like approaching this uh, but it is cool it's so neat, people make cool things, yeah, so speaking of of posters on the walls, uh I want to talk about what the hell brings player characters together. This is sort of the big topic that we were talking about. I think we just like sat down and were just like, what do we want to talk about like what's our big thought and like thing we came came to is like how do like how does teamwork work in games, and how does like how do various Games approach, you know, player connections and and why players are working together, and how do we feel about them? So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a good starting question.
1: <laughs> I have notes. So, my big thing has always been like, uh, when I first started playing tabletop RPGs, it's more of just like mm-hmm. you run into each other and you all just happen to be going to the same place that is yeah, t-
0: you're in the same tavern yeah
1: you're in the same town you grew up in the same city Uh, you're both heading to fight the same person who ruined your day Uh, you both got mm. lost and you were all in a caravan traveling separately mm. but together in the same direction when you all get attacked so you act and start yeah. talking to each other you know and one of the big ones you brought up uh, one of the first things you brought up was just like a lot of the games kind of tell people you are coming together and don't really give a certain direction mm. in it I think uh. A good example is like my uh, DM whenever we start a new campaign, he says, don't come come up with like what kind of ideas you want, but don't give me like a full outline on everything until after you hear the premise of the story and we talk to everyone together about what we want to do. Yeah. Then you start building around it. Like I my character grew up in a town and was taking care of the other character because I found her while traveling through a forest after I was banished for failing the revolution and I. Uh, I remember the question for that was like, well, what's stopping your character from going back to that town to get back at the person who forced banishment because you have evidence of his corruption? I'm like.
0: Good question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the character I was playing as a crusader. I'm like, well, at that point, I'll be too honor bound and too busy to take care of it. And uh, fortunately, Dane fixed that issue by bringing the motherfucker to my city. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to kick his ass. Literally. Like, yeah, he, there's nothing holding me back. I am not held by the laws of that land anymore. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Blades in the Dark. You are a crew that came together. Cool. How did I meet the crew? Did I just go to Criminals Anonymous and just find everyone there?
0: So, the thing, I mean, I want to like briefly talk about Blazing the Dark because on one hand, it has some of my be- my favorite like mechanics working together. Like it has group action where everybody's working together rolling the same attribute to try and overcome the thing. It has assistance where you spend stress to help everyone out. Mm-hmm. You have like setting up but then, like when it comes to what connects the characters together, there's nothing in the rules about like why you're working together. Mm-hmm. And I always it's it's sort of like a bunch of individuals working together rather than like a community of 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 people messing around, which I always find is fascinating. Yeah, because it's just like I've I've heard lot I've heard like uh, uh, friends of the table play that game and having to like hack in different things to make it. More like, what are your relationships together? What's going on? Because otherwise everyone's working on their own.
1: And I was going to say, we had this situation pop up in uh, Fire in the Dark too, because like mm. my character has everything to do with the first season of just like what drugs running rampant. And then our patron, our person who we go to for information to keep us running as a business as the uh, Murmur Venture Project. We never really dive into how I know the other three crew members and how I pick them up. Yeah. But we did write down in the notes I made a dossier of everyone else's character because I was investigating them. Yeah. And I'm I'm one of the characters who like goes out of his way to help other people out the most. However, I will say Parker and uh Rue are definitely the two people who like play off each other the most and have that like character bond with each other that keep getting into the same situation over and over again. Yeah. But like we don't really know how the crew came together and i think during like an interview episode i broke down just like oh yeah no i was going to kill archie (laughs) Realize archie also wanted to stop this thing and so i went and found a crew yeah and that was it versus if you are playing beam saber uh yes just to kind of jump into a different system that focuses on that same kind of premise of this is a squad coming together. Well, the squad came together because they are assigned. They are all in the same military faction. They all have like kind of the same goal, and they've interacted with each mm-hmm. other at some point. They all have uh, clocks with each other. They kind of get a few. Uh, what is it? in beam saber for? It's not gravity clocks. That's Armorer, but uh,
0: drive? No, that's different. Um, uh, it's 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 a drives. I drives is different. drives is like your your long-term project that you want to do yourself and when yeah. you complete them you get like levels up and stuff. Uh, I'll quickly check it out yeah. um, but but they specifically have a thing where you're improving your relationship every time you you sit down with someone, you basically uh, cut loose and that improves your relationship with them. Yeah um, and that game is is really interesting because it is a thing where connections connection it's a connection clock. where um the the closer you are with someone the more dice you give to them like if you help out you can you can improve effect give a dice whatever else but it costs you more stress to help out someone you know well yeah which i love it's so fun because like two people work really well together but it also like will cost them a lot which i don't quite get i don't understand how that works but i love that mechanic i've Mm. like in a, a couple of games i've written i've I've like thrown in little things like that because I love that that little drama of it and the little, I like improving people's connections by like adding like sentences that describe how they feel about them, like beliefs, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. And you get to test those beliefs, which is Mm -hmm. every
1: time you cut loose, once you fill out a connection clock with them, you get to test one of those beliefs and find out if it's true or not. And they don't have to be true. I think that's one of the best parts is like, because you can always assume something about someone, and then you just finally go, "Hey, listen, were you from a '90s kids show? Like, were you a star back then?" Because I re- so there's something very familiar about you, and then it's like, "No, actually, I've never been on the TV, but I know what show you're talking about. I know why I get mistaken as that person because they're actually a clone of me."
0: That's an incredible. What did you get? Is that like? Did you just come up with that? Up with that off the top of your head? I came up with that on the spot. Yeah, that's really cool. Like. Both, like, the idea that they are that person would be fascinating, but also the idea that they're not that person, but they look like that person is a really interesting, (laughs) like,
1: thing. God. Or, like, that starts off a whole mystery, but yeah, you know. And I've harped on it before, but I think it'd be really cool if Blades had a bit more of that, like, connection mechanic between people. Mm. But also, I do get the idea of it, like, players who are more invested in that connection, who are more invested in, like, building that up. Don't really want the mechanics behind it to support it. They want to show, show the benefits of it. So, you know, they're more likely to stay with that character whenever the party the crew needs to split up and uh, fight something. Yeah. They're more likely to take a certain ability because they know it'll help someone out more than uh, take something that will make them a bit more powerful because they know they want to protect someone. Or they'll even complete their own long-term project, sacrifice that in order to get closure for that person. And you know that's yeah. another version of like cutting loose or spending time together, things like that.
0: You have a story about this specifically, like you recently earned a, an epithet or something in, in 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 Fire in the Dark, right?
1: Uh, I think so. Uh, epithet. Um, epithet. No one knows what the words mean. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's like, uh, I think it's like testing that connection. I think in this last episode of Fire in the Dark, for example. Parker mm-hmm. and I met at odds ends because she was stealing from one of our own crew members and I interfered with that. I straight up said like, hey, you can steal from this person, but I would like to interfere with the scene. Basically, I gave uh, Parker's character a, another die to break into our crewmate's safe where there was like mm-hmm. a, you know, Duthix Machina type item. Very important, very powerful, connected to the story and the betrayal that we had to deal with the first season. And uh, said, "I'll give you this extra dice if you let me interfere and catch you doing this in the scene." And so that would be very similar to like a cut loose or a uh like a firebrand type interaction of stealing time together or uh meeting sword to sword if it came to that at some point. And I thought that was really interesting to do, and it's a good example of like you don't really need to have mechanics. To show what bonds are, to show an influence that someone has, you can create that in the narrative and then share that with each other. And people will remember that, I think, a bit more impactfully. Yes. But to kind of flip on the script, though, it's always nice to have those written down because you can always challenge that belief as well, too. There are some games that do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of games just have. Oh, go ahead.
0: I, I was gonna say, like the thing I was referring to with the epithet is, I thought you were you were being called like the the ultimate support character. Oh yes, yes. Wasn't yes. that what you were told about? Yes, yes, yes. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're both the interfering, meddling one, but you're also like really good at helping people out. Like you're you're the. Are you still the spider? Yes, I'm still the spider playbook.
1: Uh, I did mm-hmm. take one move from a custom playbook called the mother, and uh. The mother playbook is a fucking joy to read. I think we did an episode covering that at one point. It was some move that let me like protect people and advance a clock if it's related to it. But basically just like put my body in the way, which is something I've been doing consistently with my character. I got shot twice in the last score we did. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I got told I'm the best support character because like that's basically what I do. I know I'm not really that good at fighting, but I'm good at swaying and finding like weaknesses and such. I got told that it's really funny that I always make myself a target in order to get better information and better opportunities to the rest of the crew, which I thought was like a big compliment for me. Because I was like, oh, huh, yeah, the system really does let me play my best self of I'm the healer. Y'all get to stay alive. I'm going to put well, not the healer should also not be putting themselves in harm's way. So maybe it's more like a bard kind of position where you're just loud and obnoxious
0: enough to get a target on your back. Except in the in the movie. Dungeons and Dragons on our Among Thieves. Mm-hmm. Just to bring that back. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I need to see what that char- his character class was, because, like,
1: no matter what answer they put down, it's wrong unless it's a new custom character class.
0: What I mean, there was a druid who turned into something else. Anyway, yeah. to come back to to, to Blades of the Dark, a thing that occurred to me while we were discussing it is that the game is actually really good with connections in that, like, you're connected to the city. Mm-hmm. Like, your characters don't have anything in common, which is the weird thing, but, like, the idea that you are, like, uh, one of the things I love about the game is that you have, like, a list of names that you can pick from, and a lot of those, like, surnames also belong to, like, prominent people in the city, and so you can find out that you're accidentally related to, like, a prominent lord or something like that, and that's what your, 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 your family history is and you didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And similarly, like, a lot of the, the 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 friends and rivals and stuff like that in, in Blades in the Dark is great, just because they're a great GM tool that you can just, like, throw in, or the, the, the player can go out and seek out. Yeah. Um. And when you're making a crew, you have, like, factions you've messed with and other things you, like, uh, factions who've helped you and factions you've messed with. And I love that. Yeah. Because, like, the connections of the city and the way you're... you're very much a part of the city, not like an outsider who are meddling with, with things like you're a member of that community. It rules. Like it's, again, it's one of my favorite things about blades in the dark. Um, and possibly one of the hardest things about making a blaze in the dark hack. Cause you have to come up with all these thousand factions, but it's so weird that there's no like connection between characters there. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how they would do it. And if you did like a hack of blaze in the dark, which I don't think they're going to make a new, blades, the dark edition or anything like that. But yeah. Yeah.
1: I think what's really interesting too, is leaning into that connection. of so that you, you know, you have your contacts and some people will have good interaction with contacts. Sometimes they like intersect. Uh, I don't think (laughs) all the playbooks intersect with each other's contacts though. So unless you like make a Congo, actually, no, that person from the cutter playbook sounds really cool. Can I have pissed them Mm -hmm. off at some point? And uh, I think one of the easier ones to make connections between players is the vice purveyors. Because there are a couple of vice purveyors. So uh, you know, when I first started playing Tristero, his faith uh vice purveyor was Mother Naria, uh of the Weeping Lady, but also the person who works in the Weeping Lady is Father Yorin, who is a weird vice purveyor. And so there's like interesting intersectionality of like intersection of well, I'm going here because I believe in the Weeping Lady of Faith and also because my uh, partner is buried here. You're coming to the Weeping Lady because you get to get possessed
0: by all the ghosts who died and got buried here. And it, like, fleshes out, like, it really fleshes out both, like, like, the location, Mm -hmm. which is sick. You can do both things if there's a weird place, and you can have a different relationship with your Vice Purveyor. I
1: love that. I'm also looking at the Vice Purveyor's skin going, God damn it, why didn't I try to you uh reach out to any of these people during the thing and try to find stuff out yeah. but you know um uh, dustfall feels like a very living and breathing city just because of the interaction mm. and like all the named locations you can go to all the named people that you can like if anytime you're like uh i don't know where to go let me just start looking through character sheets real quick find out what contacts are there what connections they have yeah uh okay let me look at the crew contacts real quick Oh, great. Uh, I actually w- really want to reach out to this person. There's a cop I want to talk to and steal something from. His name is Rose. I have an in with them. He actually pulled me in at this point, but we became good drinking buddies. He let me go off early without uh writing notes. Mm. Let me go get information from him. And then someone else be like, yeah, no, actually, I worked with La Rose back when I used to be a beat cop back in the day, back when I was a blue coat and uh, they're really corrupt. Yeah. You can use this and da 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 you know negotiate with the gm a bit about what that story looks like and again find those connections of like players kind of taking that narrative control and saying this is how i interact with the city through my character
0: blaze the dark has a very complicated city which i wish was was simpler but i love those kind of connections and i love how it really like like it's something you can look at your sheet and like it raises a question rather than giving an Mm -hmm. answer um and that's a lot of fun yeah I also want to talk about it. what's another what's another system? Let's we've talked a bunch about Blades yeah. in the Dark. Um, uh, there, I was going to say there are some systems
1: out there that uh, there's a few you could probably talk a little bit more about. There's some uh, one of the systems I really love in firebrands just uses one word to describe your connection to someone. Like, what do you see them as? And you describe them as a, and they take that uh, character trait on whatever they're around you. You know, like King is dead. It's just like you create a character and you uh, introduce each other to everyone, but you all give each other one way to describe someone. And then you describe the person opposite of you and that person becomes that trait. And that's kind of how the people to your left and right see you in that. Or even better, you talk about how you appear to someone whenever you're challenging them to a duel or you're going into a, a disagreement with them.
0: Yes, I love that. But like, how is your character changed in the intervening time?
1: Yeah, just because, like, yeah, that intervening ch- time could be like a couple hours to a couple weeks to a few years before you meet again. Sorry, I'm looking for the fiasco playbooks real quick.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As a, there's a lot. Yeah,
0: but yeah. I I find that like it's 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 like Firebrands is so so different to to something like like Fiasco. Like um, I think I mentioned Fiasco and well, in this in this notepad that the audience can't hear. Uh, I've mentioned Fiasco and Good Society, where characters, like, there's classes, I guess, in in Good Society, but it's sort of like the core mechanic is basically relationships between people. Like, there is a goal you have to achieve in some cases, which is basically, like, start a romance with such-and-such such, or overcome your rivalry with such-and-such, and, such, and that's how you advance. And so the core thing is messing around with your relationship with people. And with Fiasco... The way of making characters is literally like, what is your connection with two separate people? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's similar to the what you were mentioning with like the relationship with with the cop, where like two people can have like two contrasting relationships with each with these people, and then you sort of build out from that and try and figure out like how do you reconcile those those contradictions? Like I can be like a uh, an uptown lawyer and also like a um, a common crook. To two different people or whatever, and so I have to figure out like, okay, what is my deal? And my deal, I guess, is I'm Saul Goodman from the TV show Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. where I am, <laughs> where I am, I am, I am both like a really good lawyer, but also like a, a crook who sells mobile phones inside of the street. And I love that. I think that's one of my favorite um, kinds of character connections because it's very integral to the game. Like if Blaze in the Dark had something like that, it would be very different because I feel like a lot of the time fiasco and good society don't involve people in a party together. Like they're not like a group of people working together to achieve a common goal yeah. uh, or like, like doing these things. They're just like people who exist inside of a community. And it's just like, I hate this person. I'm going to mess with their lives and I'm going to make it all worse. Or I'm in love with this person. And I'm going to try and like get closer to them and stuff like that. And it's so interesting to sort of think like that, but um and i think like i think like similarly like uh firebrands is probably Mm -hmm. like that where it's like people from different factions again not working together uh but who still have relationships with each other which sort of changes as it goes Mm -hmm. along and so it's interesting to have a game where it's like a lot of conflict going on but they're not necessarily all working together like sometimes they are i think in beam flavor like you can be on the same faction as someone but it's different No,
1: for sure. Like Beam Saber with the connections and drive, like you can have connections with NPCs. I think connections with the rival as well too, and you can be adversarial in that way. And you're still testing these beliefs that you have them as you, uh, because like I love that how wide reaching Cut Loose is, because it's also just like, no, I'm not gonna cut loose with anyone in the crew right now. Actually, I'm going to wander and find that mech pilot that uh took out, like, beat the shit out of my mech and then left me in the rubble. And I'm gonna find them and I'm yeah. gonna go drinking with them for a while and we're gonna have a really good time, probably. Or get into a fight. Depends on how the dice rolls.
0: I suppose just to give people a, a basic understanding of what, like, cut loose is, I'm not sure if we've already done this, but this is, like, um, in 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 Blades of the Dark there's a thing called uh, what's the, the Pursue Vice? What's it? What's the damn thing? Do vice, mm-hmm. where you're just like you're pursuing whatever your guilty pleasure yeah, is basically. in order to reduce your stress and so you're you're not like panicked or anything like that in the next mission, like you you're relaxed, you're chilled out. Um, in Beam Save it's the same, except you always have to hang out with another mm-hmm. person. And so you reduce stress that way, and I think you roll dice equal to the level of relationship you have mm-hmm. with them. Is
1: that uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Um I think that sounds right. You roll Uh, you roll, indulge your vice, you cut loose with each other based on how many levels of a belief that you have, and then you fill in another one. Hmm. And the, oh, that's why. Cause like the more you hang out with them, the closer you get with them, the more dangerous it is that relationship can break, especially if you don't spend a
0: lot of stress. Um, which is interesting. Like I always, I wonder about that a little bit, but I like, I like so much of the mechanics and I like how things like build up and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But um that bit's always fun. And the the fact that you can build it up with an NPC is also great. Um and you can get like connections in that way and they can help you out in different ways. Um I think that's really cool. I guess like to do do you have do you have more to say about fiasco and firebrands and good society and all uh, that thing? No, I just I think like I think the
1: difference between uh these kind of games though is so. The relationship with others dictates the scenes and what happens in the story for Fiasco, for Good Society, even uh, Firebrands, Firebrand type games. While in Blades in the Dark or Beam Saber, there's already a story there. You're just filling it in with the connection and that's going to improve and amplify what the story is like. Uh, And some... And beam saber is one of the rare ones where it has a mechanical benefit, similar to how sparked by the resistance also has a bond mechanic as well. We can see that in heart, for example, where uh, you get to kind of dictate someone, and you can spend that bond to uh, get a resource or get rest, transfer stress to someone. Uh, I think in, yeah. I think it was in um, oh god, what's the game by Matthew and uh, Brendan? Uh, Oh, fathom. fathom and fathom. You can actually put the stress from yourself onto someone you have a bond with, uh, instead, yeah.
0: and which is I think it's the same as as heart. And the way that works is you put stress on yeah. that person, and there's specific fallout like this person can betray you or something like that as a result. Yeah. Which I love. That's just like such a fun thing, especially with the the sparked by the resistance kind of game where it's just like. It sucks to like put pressure on your friends or whatever, and it might lead to a fallout. It's like, oh, I'm going to lend my friend some money. Oh, it's getting ugly. Mm. It's getting ugly, folks. Let's see what's happening there.
1: And I think that's a good example of just like using bonds. And typically the bonds are put on NPCs, but I can imagine it being... I think it's also been used on player characters before, too, where like that's kind of <laughs> the assistant assist role, in a sense, for the game. And I, I really like the yeah. bonds just because uh in the same way connections work, it's just a simple statement about the other player, a simple belief that you have about them, and kind of challenge that from time to time.
0: Um, I, I suppose to build on this, uh, do you want to talk about uh Ryan, I guess? Yes,
1: because Ryan was one of the other ones we just remembered. And we can also talk a little bit about mm. inter- interstitial as well, which it's a whole game about relationships in the same way that Ryan is. Yeah. Uh, so Ryan, uh, benefits from like having a mechanical trigger for bonds, as well as just like the hmm. utilization of bonds. Uh, bond triggers kind of go into what is used by different characters and such. So if I pull up the guide, for example, they have the bond of. I am looking at the wrong spreadsheet. <laughs> I am looking at the very wrong. I thought I pulled out the right one or not spreadsheet. spreadsheet PDF. What are you doing on a spreadsheet? I'm Listen, I've been up <laughs> since 5am, but uh, mm. basically you have these like different triggers of just like, which work in the same way, now that I'm really thinking about, in the same way that you get tokens and belonging outside belonging games. Yes. Where uh, you take a weak move, so, or uh, you give a token to someone if you offer them advice in a time of need, if you put yourself in of harm in order to protect them, uh, protect their body instead, stuff like that. Bond triggers in Ryan work in a similar way, and then on top of that you can also have bonds with different characters too. you can talk to them about different aspects of their uh gameplay. Let me find the rule book there it is There we go Bond trigger so if I'm playing the binder for example, I can help someone understand the natural or confront it uh hmm. create a bound item and when I make bonds for people, it's a question for them in some kind of way about what they are doing.
0: I'm trying to find the the basic moves for for moves and such because it mentions in the bone section there is a thing called um bah, 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 bah. <laughs> yeah uh there is uh, a thing called I was just looking at it where was it?
1: That's what I was looking at and thought I was looking at too but Oh, here we Uh, go.
0: You can demand action from your bond, help hinder or reassure them. Mm -hmm. um, And this kind of thing, I'm trying to find the definition of it.
1: Here we go. I found, uh, so I found the bond questions for the binder. Mm. You start with three bonds and for each choose an emotion and a statement. They start at normal. Uh, Again, emotion is very heavily implied in uh, this game. In a similar way that, again, interstitial is, but interstitial has only like four types of, uh, stats i can use heart light dark and mastery while the emotions in this game are very much more buried and different and can mean a lot of different things uh the binder can say that they have a bond with someone by them giving them a piece of their spirit in the past uh they want me to share my knowledge for free help me sometimes it lightens the load or help me sometimes i never asked for it i love the different kind of ways these bonds can be triggered as well too and challenged. And uh, yeah. those go into the character sheet with Lee, with being able to stitch it in with that statement. And yeah. anytime you want to challenge that, you can change out how the bond is interpreted at that point, too. I
0: I have it up now, and there's basically like the way it works you like, there is the help move, which I'll read out quickly, which is when you help someone you have a bond with, say what, you, what age you lend and roll on success. Pick one for each stitch in your bond. On a seven to nine, you may always, they also choose one. Your bond is weakened or one of you changes your bond's emotional statement. Mm -hmm. And things you can do is they gain advantage. They may roll with their bond emotion and you stitch emotions in their place. So if something bad happens, you can stitch that emotion. Um, On a miss, you weaken your bond. You can also do a thing with Hinder, which is basically the same. But you don't have to roll, which is kind of fun. That's fascinating. Uh, but you can choose to make them gain advantage. They stitch their emotion even if it doesn't match. They they face greater consequences on a miss. There's a lot of phrases in this thing. Like, stitching means you mark an emotion, and if you mark it too much, it, you ha- are forced to stay in that emotion. Like, Ryan's really good, but it has a lot of, like, mechanics that aren't found in different systems, so it's not, like, an easy sort of, like, um thing. Um, but it also is a thing where you can sever your bond. And if no one in the bond in the in the group has a has a bond with you, then you're out of the group. You can't mm-hmm. play anymore, which is really fun.
1: That's fascinating. I like that kind of like there's an easy way for someone to just like make a sacrifice and end up being ousted and misunderstood and do the yes. character story thing. Uh and it's so very different too, because I'm going back through links in interstitial and uh every playbook in interstitial has their own stats so they have their light dark mastery heart play whatever Mm -hmm. uh have a fun one called the role player which was a joke one that riley hopkins made that's (laughs) just for shits and giggles and it's based off of uh sans undertale and freakazoid uh i think i remember this one yeah i downloaded that because i thought it was funny and if i ever get a chance to play it i will be rolling that character but links and uh bonds with characters are very much a more they are a resource in the same way bonds are in heart and spire mm-hmm. and fathom and that you were you anytime you meet someone new make a link with them immediately and yeah you know uh interact with them for a little bit and figure out what kind of link you have if you listen to the interstitial um. Uh, uh, actual play podcast which i think is from their got it memorized uh podcast you can kind of hear that happen in a lot of different ways and how they interact with like the power rangers or uh just a huge variety of different characters that are disney adjacent just far enough not to get sued uh but yeah the point of links and interstitial is to just make them and use them immediately, sometimes locking them, and then sometimes just using it so much you can no longer uh, call on that person. And almost, like, it has, like, a little bit more of a dramatic effect of, like, you can spend a link so much that you forget that person, but you can also, uh, if you roll well enough, you can lock a link and make sure that you never forget that person ever again, Mm -hmm. which is very fascinating to me. I really like the idea behind that.
0: And, yeah, I think, like... Right here, you have it sort of linked up with a bunch of other things, like uh, with with like masks and like Monster Hearts and stuff. And so, I guess like have what's your what's your experience with Monster Heart and 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 masks? Because that's more of a game where the the relationships are very like mac, um, mechanized. There's like mm-hmm. what what are the things in Monster Monster Heart, Hearts? It's called strings. Strings. Uh. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Monster Hearts is a very horny game. Yes. I cannot state that enough. Straight up, go look up uh, Carry on Comfort Studios' uh, actual play of Hades High School. It is just so fucking flirty and aggressive and just. It's very good. It's very well done. It's supposed to be in the same sense of like Riverdale or a Teen Wolf in the sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a PBTA game by Avery Alder. Who it yeah. you know people recognize from the Quiet Year and a whole bunch of other fucking games that we talked about in the past. Yes. Uh, but strings in the sense are a way to kind of pull at the heartstrings of someone, get them to do mm-hmm. something you want them to do. And yes. the way that works out is you can pull a string on them, and you can you uh well, let me make sure I control F on this and get the strings right. Going down, going down, going down, pulling strings. You can tempt them to do what they want by uh, using that spinning the string. You can give them a condition, making it harder for them. You can add a roll to, you can add plus one to your roll against them, so you can kind of influence that roll and make them more likely to do something. Or you can add a harm, an additional harm against them by pulling that string and spinning it. And Hmm. uh, Monster Heart Hearts especially is a challenging game in which keep the narrative in the narrative make the characters not know what's going on but make sure all the players are in the know. Yeah. Of uh, you know, my character is giving you this condition cuz they're lashing out. They're very upset about this thing. Uh, do you think your character mm. would understand that and uh kind of have that outside the outside the scene director discussion before going yeah. back into your characters cuz
0: it's manipulation basically. Yeah, basically. It's like yeah. saying you have to do this way. Um, which is, which is one of the reasons I've always stayed away from Monster Hearts is I'm just like, that makes me uncomfortable to play. Yeah, Like, similarly, I've played like Urban Shadows and it has a similar thing. And it was just like, we played this game. It has like a debt thing where you can cash in a debt to make a PC, like lend a hand, get in the way, answer a question, honestly. And I hated it when mm-hmm. I was like running that game. I'm just like, let's just not deal with this part of the game, which sucks because like that's a core part of this game. Mm-hmm. Um... Mm -hmm. but it's it's interesting it's sort of an interesting like way of approaching this game it's also a thing where you add a mechanic to deal with with relationships yeah and to deal with specifically difficult relationships
1: it's definitely just a game you play with people you trust and anyone i've Mm -hmm. talked to who have played monster hearts they said yeah this is how we did it we all talked about what our decisions are outside of the scene and just make sure everyone's comfortable with each other we keep checking in with each other the entire time like okay. If I can see that working out, I think it would just be a lot of, like, overload for me,
0: personally. And and how does it work in masks? You can probably speak more to that than I can. Yeah,
1: so in masks, uh, you have influence over people. Uh, all adults have influence on teens, and actually can, there is a rant from Sailor Scout Austin about this being a superior RPG, but it doesn't feel like it because it's just so based on emotion. And influence yeah. is a way to... Uh, utilize that as well so like you can spend uh influence to tell someone how the world works and they can either accept or reject it if they have influence over you they have to take it at like a minus one uh hmm. to reject it or roll higher to do it and it also triggers them to have more influence so that means they can either heal a condition on you or uh give you another condition if you fail they can give you xp or not xp it's not xp in mass it's a uh, Something else. But uh, influence has a mechanical advantage of like you get to take a plus one on all moves against them. So if you directly engage, if you unleash your powers, if you defend them or defend from them, do anything involving them. And whether it's talking or physical, whether it's physical, mental or emotional, you have a plus one against them. Yeah. As long as they're involved, you have a plus one against them. And you can also use your influence to uh, and give it up. To force someone to take a roll with a minus two. You can put a condition on them. Or you can take a additional plus one on your move. Targeting them after the roll. So say you and I are playing a game. I have an influence over you. Mm-hmm. And I roll a six to directly engage you. Being an entire miss. I can t- spend my influence over you to get a seven. Mm-hmm. In order to push that just a bit closer. Where we just trade blows instead. And uh. I only get to pick like – I only trade blows, but I have to take the other effects of like I take harm and uh, – or I take another condition on, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, influence being a very mechanical thing that utilizes – but I don't know how I feel about it. And Well, it's weird because like when you watch shows like Young Justice, Teen Titans, um, like Man, like teen superheroes, they're influenced constantly by the people they engage with. Their friends in schools, their team, if they're on a superhero team, mm. and the adults and super other supers and villains around them. Like, they are all having influence over them. You can see that in the media you watch.
0: Spider-Verse is also, like, a good uh, uh, reference. Spider-Man into the into the Spider-Verse. No, wait. What's it called? Is that the name of the current one? The one that's coming out? Anyway. Whatever it is. Uh, it's across the Spider-Verse for so the next one. Across the Spider-Verse. Right. It's across the universe. The Beatles song. Um. But at the same time, I feel like it's a very weird. Like I'm uncomfortable with that thing just because I want my kids to be like weird rebels who are just like I don't care what the, the adults tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever, and they don't mm-hmm. strongly rely on the adults in that way. And I think like similarly, and in into the Spider Verse, the whole thing is the the adults keep like you know telling. Um, I guess Miles has like a complicated relationship with adults in that in that movie. But a lot of the time um, he is told not to do it in a certain way and he does it anyway and he proves it mm-hmm. to himself and he like sort of like. is positively influenced by people. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of yeah. confusing,
1: but well, that actually goes into the next part of it, too, where like, you know, all the stuff I said about influence feels like it's very one way. If the person has influence, they have a lot of power, hmm. but that's also why in mask you have to move to reject influence on people, too. And you can tune them out uh, clear condition if you're able to successfully do so. You can shift your stats around and mm-hmm. mask. You use labels in order to show how you do your super hearing, how emotionally charged they are. Yeah. And uh, or you can just cancel their influence out entirely and take a plus one forward against them. And my favorite part about this is if you miss, if you roll a six minus on this, uh, you mark another condition, which puts you in more trouble. And the, uh, the game master will instead change your labels himself. Yeah. In order to kind of show, like, no, this influence is getting to you now. Yeah, makes it worse. They want you to be this way.
0: Jesus. I hate them. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I, I yeah, I don't like that. Like, my thing is, it's like, it's one of these things that, like, again, different people would, would enjoy this in a different way and, like, find something out of this, but it would just make me feel trapped in a certain way or it would make me do a kind of character or a relationship in a game that I'm not as in, I wouldn't enjoy as more as much. Like I can't, yeah. I cannot think of many times where I've played a game where the people I've played with have been like, I'm going to interfere with something someone else is doing. Like mm. um I can, I can choose to help them or I can get in the way. Um The closest I can come to it is just people refusing to help, but it's never been a thing where someone's like out and out refusing to help. Because I feel like that's uncomfortable. Like, people are there, like, they're always a group of friends all helping each other out, and it's more helpful like this. Like, the reason, like, the yeah. debt moves didn't come up in the, the playthrough of of um, Urban Shadows that I did is just like, yeah, we don't want to do it. We can just talk it out without you to spend resources or anything like that. You don't need yeah. to worry about this. I think
1: that's just like, yeah, when you want to use those kind of mechanical aspects of a game, I think that just shows the direction you want to go in, where it's like, my character. You know, and maybe you talk about this outside as well, Mm -hmm. but you just kind of say out outwardly, like my character really cares about this a lot. I would I'm probably going to end up using my influence to get you to not do this. Are you okay with that? Yeah. And depends on the table. And I think that's also kind of why people say, like, mass is supposed to be a short game. You're not supposed to run too long of a session. And there are plenty of people with a mask, actual play, who have to keep changing up characters in order to keep it fresh and show the world is growing and changing and different people are being involved.
0: Yeah. I think it's a game that I'd like to read through, even if I never really play it, just to sort of, like, understand how the mechanics work. Just because it has Mm -hmm. so many cool ideas to it, and a lot of people really like it. But, yeah, I don't know.
1: It's very, very interesting. Uh, And I like... We've talked about so many games so far, it's interesting to see how many different aspects people in these games kind of look at. Like, how do I have people work together do i just kind of yeah not touch it and just trust the table to figure it out or yeah. do i give them a reason to care about others
0: yeah or to mess with others
1: or to mess with others too
0: i actually have a fun segue which is what about games that don't have any kind of teamwork things in them like i i know one that comes to mind immediately which is Offworlders, which is one of my favorite games but with rules as written I don't think there's a way of helping out people. Like, I remember reading like the Discord that there was potentially a thing they could do for the next edition. That's, that's something that uh, uh, Chris Wolf would do for next edition. Um, and similarly, a game we talked about last week uh, oh, sorry, last Fortnite um, we talked about uh, Fist. That doesn't have, in the core rules, a Muther helping out other people. There is in the additional rules The thing you can optionally throw in, uh, is, is like assisting people. And that has like a a little rule here and there, but with rules as written, they tend to be just people who are working on their own and doing the cool actions without any kind of mechanic about like, how do you know each other? How do you feel about each other? How do you mess (laughs) with each other? Like nothing like that. Nothing like that is even included, which I find fascinating like it is it is something that I'm always like the first thing I do when I'm reading a game is like, all right, how am I going to hack in a role to mess with people because I love that part of it. I love interacting with other people when I play, but just like I don't know i'm I'm so interested in like games where it's just like, no, you're just a bunch of individuals. you don't mess with people, you don't help each other out. you're just there and yeah i'm 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 curious about that because it's, particularly since like. There are games like like Good Society where you are not working together and you are against each other and you are not a team, but they have the most intense like, uh, 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 uh like teamworking thing mechanics to them. And so I don't know what are you what are your thoughts about systems where they don't have any team moves?
1: I find that frustrating for me personally. So like I I'm always any position and like D even uh there's two ways you can help someone out and you know in fifth edition it's like okay you can speak up tell me how you help out and you give uh hmm. the person rolling advantage or yep. disadvantage if you're not helping them
0: which or, is extremely uh, close to having no mechanic for that like the fact that that's just yeah. thrown in there is just like yeah whatever who cares yeah
1: and yet that's still a mechanic that people know about or like in 3.5 it was uh you can, if you are directly across from someone and there's an enemy between you, you are flanking, you yes. can add a plus two, and that's another way to help out. Stuff like that.
0: Mm. uh,
1: Which, again, bare minimum, but there's some kind of bonus to doing this. There's some kind of bonus for putting yourself in harm's way. Powered by the Apocalypse, aid another, or uh, cult another. It's a plus or minus one to the roll. I, I like looking for those opportunities. I like being like, okay, how can my character get involved? Because I You know, I'm traveling with this person, so I care to some extent of them. I want them to succeed in some way. Yeah, but there's no rules in it whatsoever. I, if I was to run the game, I would try to see if I could justify, like, yeah, no, if you want to help, um, I guess so because this anomaly has this like kind of background. And you said something in your backstory about it, this being related to you. You might actually recognize this and know a weakness. Uh, tell me what the weakness is, and I'll. Say you can add another die to the role. Uh, I'm also looking at Maharlika, from uh, which is a game I've talked about fairly often. Mm. Uh, it also doesn't have any assistant roles. It doesn't really talk about it. I just did a quick search through it, mm. and I couldn't find it. Troika, neither. Uh, I couldn't find that earlier for the life of me, which is a science fantasy tabletop RPG. Really mm. interesting. Have yet to play it, but I know people have played it. Um, yeah.
0: It looks overwhelming to me. I'm just like, there's so much going on. I don't know what's happening. Everyone keeps making classes for it. I'm just like, what? What are you talking about?
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those games that's really, it's just like, oh, yeah, no, I can make just about anything for the character class. Yeah. Uh, even Lancer, I think, actually. Yeah, Lancer has assist mechanics as well, too. You can uh, lock onto a target and give a plus two to a roll for someone in that way. Yeah. You can, like... It's hard for me not to imagine a game that doesn't provide some kind of alley to uh, help out a fellow player at the table. Especially, like, like
0: tactical games. I feel like that's, like, the most clear thing. Like, there's always, like, healing and stuff, like, the support characters who give people buffs and stuff like that. I feel like it's odd because I always think of, like, tactical games as very, like... You're not focusing on the role play. You're not focusing on this sort of thing, but like mechanically, that is the most important thing. Like, yeah, I got to work as a team because like teams working together is more interesting than just individual people.
1: Yeah, especially in tactical Well, tactical games not even much of a role playing game. It's more of just like you have some downtime scenes where you talk to each other, but then the tactical portion, it's just like I like I would not be playing. I would not play Fire Emblem mm. if I couldn't like have my forces stack up and chain assist each other in order to get, like, a big bonus against an enemy. I would not, like, try to build that out Yeah, and play that game in that way if it did not provide some kind of bonus.
0: And it's also interesting. I mean, this is talking about video games rather than tabletop RPGs, but there's uh, Midnight Suns, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which, like, I think someone said, like, 60% of the game is just you hanging out at, like, a dorm with, like, a bunch of superheroes and, like, trying to do a book club with Blade. And just, like, that's a lot of the game. And I think a lot of people didn't like that game for that reason, but a lot of the people went to the game specifically because of that and how it gave you, like, fun bonuses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I-, I was kind of... I had a question. Mm-hmm. It was about Offworlders. It was about... Let me just scroll through. Uh, oh, I should... Pull- if you have something to say while well, I'm trying to figure out what this is, please tell me, because I cannot remember yeah. what I was saying. Um it's just like
1: I think it's also these assist moments where like a character can really kind of learn their stride mm-hmm. in how to play a game by learning how to help out the table as well, too. Because if not, then you have like you have an issue which I've had at the table before where you have just these four different people. Uh, all kind of having their own adventure, and every now and then coming together because, like, oh, yeah. I just happen to stumble onto this crime scene, and uh, I wanted to know more just out of curiosity. And you're telling me there's actually like a couple a murderer, it's cult afoot. Yeah. Okay, let me step in and start working with y'all. Then, all right, we're done. I'm gonna go back to work now. Bye. Yeah. Assist mechanics give more of a reason for a character to help out because, like, there's also the interesting factor of like you come in to help and you make things worse yeah by helping i think that's always an interesting factor to bring in of just like you know and forging the dark games of like doing the group action yeah and you kind of pushing for that and uh the group action no one rolls above a three so it's a big failure and the person who is leading the action takes on more and more stress because
0: extra stress for every failure yeah i guess also like the the uh 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 sparked by the resistance games like heart and spire are really interesting because um there is a thing where you can help out at any time the only thing is if it goes wrong you will take stress mm-hmm. and um i think it's really interesting because like a lot of the times in both like Spark by resistance game and forge in the dark games people are like i can't participate in helping because i don't have enough stress to help you out it'll put me at a dangerous level so i'm going to step back and similarly with spark Mm -hmm. resistance like i'm i'm messed up i cannot help you with this sort of thing and i like that but i also hate it because it's just like i would like to help out and like participate in this thing but i can't participate because my resource levels with various negative resources are bad like i have too much stress or i have too much stress depending on the system um and i can't participate and I've played games mm. of Forge of the Dark where someone's like, this sucks. I, I want to be able to help out, and I can't. And I wish there was like a fun alternative to that. I'm not gonna lie, my alter-
1: fun alternative has always well, been like stress, just quirk out, just max out the stress bar. Fuck it.
0: Yeah. We weren't playing with quirks, unfortunately. We we had the yeah. the the trauma which couldn't go away, which it's probably bad. Probably just get rid of that. Yeah. I,
1: I yeah, I still don't like that in the base game of Blades in the Dark. I like mm. our uh, hey, we'll start sending people to therapy to heal this quirk, and it's just going to be a, a long term project because that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and you know, like ten ten cup high on that. But something that like also helps out too, just because. Uh, uh, did you find that question you were looking for? By the way,
0: I did. You 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 do yours, and I'll lead into it. Uh,
1: I think you should lean into yours because I was going to segue into that other thing I got from a friend of ours.
0: Okay. So, so, basically, uh, my thought was, um, there is this idea I've had in the back of my head for a while, which I think probably came from um, uh, the Banner Saga, which is a game about a, a caravan of people and giants and God knows what else, all moving across a country, and, and they stop off at places, and they do fights, but the people who do fights are the people who put forward to do the fights. And so their role in the community is to make bargains, to sort out like bandits who ever come across them and all the rest of it. And so the idea in the back of my head for ages has been what if you add Blades in the Dark style crews to DD? Like, what if you threw that in there and you're like, all right, we actually have a reason for being together? And it, like, I'm not sure if it adds any mechanical bonuses. I'm thinking it might like add like fun connections. But the idea of basically having like your group is a family i'm the uncle you're the you're the niece this person they're the family friend who just kind of hangs out and then you you sort of like talk about your relationships between each other and then you're not just a bunch of people who are hanging out because i feel like typically in a lot of games whenever i approach a character i i i sit down and think who is the coolest person i could be who is the the badass like my name is 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 um Griffin, Darkwater, and I am, I, I. my hair is white, my eyes are red, I I am cool as hell, I'm anime, and and then I, I, I start playing with other people, and it's just like, all, all the cool things I want to do, I can't do. Because I'm mm. just like, oh, I'm with a m- bunch of people, and this cool character who I thought was the coolest individual ever who would take over the whole world is now just kind of a dorky, silly character because everyone's laughing at them. And, like, I'm thinking, like, what if you change it in that, like, you're focusing from the very start, like, oh, I'm the uncle. I guess I have magic powers, but, like, my core identity here is I'm the uncle. Like, I have to take care of my, my, my little niece. I have to do all these kind of things. Um, or it could be something like, all right, we're, we're the, we're the crack, crack squadron of resistance people who are trying to take down, um, try to take down the local lord or something. And so mm. I'm the commander which means I'm separate from everybody else. Like I'm sitting on my own and making the decisions. I'm being the captain in, in Skyfarer where I'm just like, I'm giving orders or whatever. And it's sort of this weird dynamic. There's also the scout who's like giving information about this and like giving, like, again, I keep coming back to the, the whole term of, of community, like just sort of having this community that you're playing within and this group that you're really a part of, because then it's, it's so interesting to sort of play as that. And to sort of like, like, it's there's so many genre things. There's so many, like, um, ensemble casts in films where you're focusing on groups of people who are working together and have different relationships but also have different roles. And I feel like, like D&D would be great if they just focused on that. Like, if they just, mm. like, had a class, they had something like this, where you're part of a community, you know your role, you can challenge your role. Like, I can try and be the new commander and stuff like that. And it's kind of fun and it's got this, it adds this dynamic and it adds this sort of like structure you can play within rather than just being a bunch of individuals who are some reason together. Like, I wish there was something like that. And I'd like to work on that. That's like a, a project I have in my back, in the back of my mind. And if you're listening to this and want to come up with yourself, feel free, do your own version. I will do my own version and run with it. But, um, that's just like an idea that I would love. Um, and yes, that is, that is my final thought.
1: Well, like, going back to something you said about, like, the connections and, like, being that commander and such, mm. Uh, one thing that we actually, I've gotten to use recently is from the Cortex Prime system called Pathways. Yes. Uh, Commander Pulsar, who is the GM for Denarius Half Dozen over at Huntsman's Hydra and also runs his own channel and has his own uh website to uh, be hired out for games and start playing games. Uh, dot game things the website you can look him up on uh, start playing games or commander pulsar he does a great job of like introducing people to new systems and such but yeah. he sent me and everyone else a uh, mirror board and said we're gonna do the pathways yeah i showed marley a picture of it and it is so big it's <laughs> so much info yeah I cannot take a screen cap of it because it will be pixelated. And I can't, in order to download a full PNG of it, I have to pay for Miro. I would like yes. to not pay for Miro right now. Um, but basically what's happening... It's like a
0: relationship
1: map, right? Yeah, it's a huge relationship map. And it is how your character feels about people, places, and events. Mm-hmm. And then how other people feel about you as well. And so, you know, you have your main characters characters on the outside in their squares. And you have... Uh, some of the NPCs on other circles coming towards the center and you have your arrow from your square going to a circle, going to a different circle, going to a different circle, saying this is how I feel about this person. Mm-hmm. This person stood up for me and I think uh, I think they are a stand up person. I think they I would uh, come to their aid if they called for it. Uh, this person has been my favorite professor since I've been in college. I hope. Uh, I hope to repay them for all the tutelage they gave me one day. Yeah. Uh, it Basically, it's just like a huge system to help set up plot hooks and like find what interests people. Where do people want to go? And then also set up like little hidden things about like how these people feel about you. You know, maybe. Uh, and what's really fun, it's open to the entire table. It takes a little bit of time to do it. It took us a while because we were doing it uh, in stages offline from each other. It's because we couldn't find time to meet. But uh, some of the fun parts is like you can see a line that someone's drawn and connected to themselves and say, hey, actually, uh, because I know I also interact with that person as well. Can I have an arrow from uh, them to me pointing and them saying that I might uh, I've done some kind of criminal injustice. They need to bring me uh, bring me to jail, bring me to trial or something in order to like set up that conflict for the future. It is really fascinating. Start from a Cortex Prime Smallville, uh, based on these notes I got from Pulsar. Yeah, I think it's like a good way of just like if you have a session zero and if you want to ask why the hell are we all together, it's like well that's what we're finding out. Y'all have your characters, you have like a general idea of what you're doing. Uh, let's go ahead and start talking about what y'all pe- what you interact with in the setting. Hmm. Who have you met? Where have you gone to? Uh, what? caused the what was the triggering event in order for you to get in the situation you are now but someone yeah. else also involved in that event do they have a connection to someone we know through someone else as well like how many chain how many uh uh steps to kevin bacon can we make essentially
0: yeah it also mentions uh uh triangles like it mentions love triangles but it mentions it in a really cool way where it's just like like i think what's the example it's about university yeah. Like, uh da da da, da uh. uh anytime two folks have different opinions about the same element, if one reveres the university another feels shafted by them, dealing with the university is going to be charged. Scenes arguments can develop from it. Which is which I like because like the common thing, like I was on Tumblr in like the mid twenty tens, and like the thing there was love triangles suck. We should always get rid of them. Just get you know, everyone should be should be in like polyamorous relationships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I like this because that's like that's some of the really fun things is like having contrasting opinions about the same thing is 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 so exciting and fun.
1: That also kind of creates a drama behind it too, just like and Charge scene. Like they said, it allows you to interact with it differently compared to another player, and you can see it through two different sets of eyes. Which is always fun. I
0: love the contrast in it. It's like. It's similar to the 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 people messing with each other, but it's just more fun, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's the the rules. I mean, it's for me. I'm like, this is what I really like about D and D, but it just seems so complicated. Like, it's so like I can see this as a as a GM tool. It's great because you just sit back, you see all these relationships to all these places, and you're like, all right, this is interesting, and I can pull on this. And I have like a whole map for an entire campaign to build from. but I'm just looking at this, and I'm just like, this is so much work. This is so much work for everyone. Um, so I guess mm-hmm. my question is, how was it for you, like when you sat down to to make something like this, how did it go? like was it was the experience like was it fun um, to explore it in such detail, or was it overwhelming? What was it like?:
1: I will say in the first few steps, it did feel kind of overwhelming, but mm-hmm. it was just we took it one step at a time. Yeah. uh I definitely would just like look at the chart kind of look at what people had and go how can I connect this to my character and you know uh depending on how I wanted to connect that it would be like a DM. it would mainly be another message in the group chat like hey blank are you okay if uh I actually have been here before and you saw me get chased out because I shouldn't have been there and mm-hmm. it's actually a front for a lot of criminals yeah or uh you know and over time, it got easier and easier, and I think it just kind of flowed a lot quicker. I The hardest part was trying to make sure there were enough points of interest to interact with for me, yeah. uh, just in case so we had more stuff to fall back on. Uh, there were definitely times where I was just looking. There were options of, like, create a new uh, event or place to put on the map or connect one previous circle to another, uh, to another triangle, square, or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And write how they feel about that. I'm like, okay, I can try to build up what this type of person is based on how they feel about the university, based on how they feel about the library. Yeah. In that way. It was a nice experience. I I legitimately am considering like using it again. If I run a scum and villainy game for my friends, I'm going to probably pull that out, pull the factions and uh put a few of them on like index cards and just have them like sitting on the table. But yeah. then have us all come together, like make a nice big map and I'll take a photo of it and be like, all right, we're going to figure this the fuck out for the next week. So you next week.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, I said, like when we were discussing it, that I would just have a page of notes as a GM and just sort of pull from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could, I could picture that. Low. If you had like a, like a blaze of the dark map and you had like little red, th- red threads going from one thing to another, that would be sick. I would like that a lot.
1: That would be such a fun, like way to interact with stuff. Honestly.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, any any final thoughts? I mean, I have one question here, which I think is a silly question, but uh what is the best what is the best character connection mechanic ever? I I just
1: love it so fucking much. I got to say Gravity Clocks. Yeah. It just like it uh, No. Wait. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Maybe it's the fiasco, like, index card of
0: just, like... Which takes too long. I always say whenever I'm doing that rolling dice and stuff, it's t- so slow and it always, like, saps everyone's energy. But I love it. It's so fun. Um, have you played with, like, the playing card version out of curiosity? Yes. I think I owned it. Um, okay. I don't know where it is. I think I have a physical copy somewhere. But like, yeah, that's way quicker. Instead of like rolling dice for the sub for the for the category, and then rolling dice for the individual option on the category, it's just throw down a card. That's it. Yeah, and that's good. That was a fun Mm -hmm. innovation for them. Yeah, no that that one felt great. I
1: that to me felt a lot faster than the usual Fiasco game, which like always somehow devolved into two separate sessions for me. Mm -hmm. But uh, maybe it's the Fiasco thing. Like I like Gravity cart clocks because of the mechanical advantage they give and also just like how much they can change and how you can test the belief about someone connection that you have
0: Uh, and you can you can sever it and kill your kill your rival if you're playing a stir. like that's cool yeah
1: like I I like I like gravity clocks a lot those are really cool Mm. I think I have a hard stance of just like I think my favorite is just non assistant methods of just like you get advantage or you get a, a plus two on a d20 roll I'm Firmly against that. That's just not interesting to me.
0: Yeah, you have to do something with it, like spend a resource or lose something in order to get it. It
1: has to get you give you a chance to be more in trouble. And I'm not just talking yes. about taking damage. I mean like some kind of consequence to the scene. I think anything that doesn't mm-hmm. like provide that kind of like narrative uh description, narrative follow through isn't interesting to me.
0: Yeah. I get that. My answer to this question is that they're all good, <laughs> like that's the thing because like i i when we were talking about this topic and about like how to approach it, I was just like, there isn't a the best one it's a silly question to ask just because it is like everything like says something different about the system they're in like um you know like the 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 way that masks approach approaches like teamwork and about influence and stuff says something about what kind of story they're trying to tell and the way that um blades in the dark does it is also trying to say something about it it's a bunch of individuals working together who don't necessarily have connections together but work to change the city you know sp- sparked by the resistance games everyone's in trouble um everyone like throws themselves and does stress to to help out with these roles you know all kinds of stuff and it's all very interesting and i like I love I love uh Beam Saber because it it does take a core rule or a core issue that I have with Blades in the Dark and says like oh we can change it and make it like this and this is cool. But yeah, I don't I don't have like a strong like I'm even like I'm okay with systems not having assistance roles because that is interesting to me. Like I I brought it up here because I'm just like why doesn't Troika why doesn't Offworlders why doesn't XX whatever uh why don't they have assistance roles and it's kind of illustrative of the kind of game they are even if i want to change it immediately it's always the first thing i want to change it's fascinating and like i like this topic just because like i can't wait for whatever the hell the next big innovation the next big you know sea change of of helping people out will be how how will assistance work in different ways Hmm. Just because I like all these mechanics. They're really fun. They're really interesting. That's why we, like, spent an hour or something talking about these. And yeah, so I don't have one. I'm going to be stubborn about this. <laughs> well, fine, then. I'll out myself and just... You just like one game. Jeez. Jeez. God. <laughs> Which is a good game. Like, I really like Gravity Cogs. They're really cool. Although, again, I haven't read the rules for them. I've just been listening to Friends at the Table. And I will eventually familiarize myself with them. Um, but yeah, any any final thoughts on on why the hell was it was it called topic? <laughs> what the hell brings player characters together?
1: Um, honestly, I think it I think you can have a more engaging, exciting game if you talk to your table about like what you want to come together for. Like, you want are you being the heroes? Are you being the thieves? Are you are you just people who work in the same office and just realize one day that your managers all have one too many fingers?
0: Yeah, that's a game, right? That's like you're referencing something there. I that's know that's probably that game. a game.
1: I think it's that game we talked about a uh, fortnight ago. It was the uh, from the bundle where like middle yes. managers kill on site or something like that.
0: It had like it looked the the layout of it. I can't remember what the hell it was, but the layout of it was like just a bunch of slides from like a corporate presentation yeah shout outs to that game. go look at our list of games uh, for that. Uh, I guess on that note, let's move on to shout outs. things we're excited for, and I start off because I have an easy transition, which is the bundle for trans rights in florida, which which we had a whole episode about last week last fortnight. um about we we had a basically a list of ten games that we' are incredibly excited about, and I also sneakily included like a bunch more, probably ten or twenty more in the the post credits thing or the post outro thing um, and there is a bunch of really cool games in there and i think by the time this episode comes out it's going to be like a day or two or something before that bundle ends um if you if you spend what is it $5 you basically get uh 500 and something more than 500 games 505 uh, some games some of which 505 games um, and, uh, I think two or three of them are mine, I think I have, like, my Scarecrow game, I have a, whatever's it, Night of the Scarecrow, which is about, scarecrows is taking over a, a village, and you just have to survive that night, and it's a quiet year-inspired thing, that was fun, I have a goblin game, I have Goncharov, yeah, I have Goncharov Must have Die, on there. I've got in which you play the cast of the- the- 1972 film, uh, uh, Goncharov, and that's fun, um, and just loads of games, like I've basically been going through my list of fun games, um, there's Boondock Cartomancy, which is really cool, really enjoying that game, that's really neat, um, and so yeah, check that one out, support trans rights, Florida's going through a hell of a time, and and fuck Florida government right now, uh. And yeah, give them a support. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, what about you? I guess to throw it over to me. Um, fire in the dark. Uh, this month we are on pause for the moment, mostly because uh, life stuff has gotten in the way for the GM and our producer. So we're just kind of taking it easy this month. Uh, Stick around, play to find out if we do a special event. Maybe I'll run a game of scum and villainy. Maybe I'll run a game of armor. Or maybe I'll just say, fuck it, we'll play for the queen for two hours straight, Hmm.
0: which actually. That'd be good. That'd be very fun. Two hours straight isn't much of a thing with for the queen. I thought that's just how you play for the queen.
1: Yeah. That really depends on how you play for the queen and how willing you are to go into the scenes there. And uh, yeah, one thing I do want to shout out, and yes, the Kickstarter is over for it, but you can play the demo of Lancer Tactics. Uh, Lancer Tactics mm-hmm. is a very delightful tape, uh, video game take on the Lancer universe. Uh, they have a demo on their itch.io page. And uh, it, if to me, it feels very much like Advance Wars, but I know it's supposed to be like Final Fantasy Tactics or a little bit of like old school Fire Emblem. It's such a cute... Mm-hmm. Little game, and you play it right in your browser as well. Too if you were on your computer or uh, maybe even on your phone, but yeah, you get to move around. You it basically runs like a sa- session of Lancer, which is a mech game. For people who, who aren't aware, for people who aren't aware, that it is a mech game, which is why it's yeah. so fucking cool. It is developed by Olive, uh, uh aka Wickworks, which you can find at wick.itch.io/slash Lancer-tactics. I really appreciate games being developed like this, and uh, yeah, I hope to see more games like it. There's also a gameplay setting where you can just spawn more enemies in the demo, which I think is really funny. You're like, yeah, it's not hard enough. Give me more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. More yeah. games should have that. More
1: games should, game should have a spawn more people option just to overload the game specifically. <laughs>
0: Yeah, as somebody who's best known with game design, that's often just a tool that I have. Like, what will happen if I had 50 more people? What's how what'll happen here? And it's often very fun. Uh, anything else to shout out? No, that is it for me. Okay, well, this was Inside the Table, a tabletop RPG talk show, and thank you very much for listening to it. I was Marley. You can follow me at minor underscore lenahan on Twitter, and my pronouns are he/him. And I was joined today by. My name is Cole,
1: A.K.A. Ice Coal Brew. You can follow me on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, Hive, Tumblr. Uh, yes, over at Ice Cold Brew, and my pronouns are he/him
0: they/them. And you can also follow this this podcast on Twitter at Inside the Table, um, and on co-host at Inside the Table, but also Link True ee slash inside the table will give you links to all the things, including Apple Podcasts where you can do a review and and let us know. I think we're currently sitting at five stars and that's always very fun. Um, there might be people who write words with that. Uh, I don't know how to see it. Uh, if you're reviewing us on other platforms, that also helps, apparently. again, I have no idea how to check these things out. It's very confusing with many different podcast platforms, none of which I use. However, keep recommending, keep sort of saying nice things, and we will appreciate mm-hmm. um, Of course, if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts, if you disagree with us, then you can send your questions in to inside the table at gmail.com. Um, it's always very welcome. It's always very fun receiving emails, particularly if they're weird spam things um, or... If you have any games you'd like us to check out, like if you're releasing a game, would you like us to check it out? We're absolutely down for doing that. We've done that in the past and it was a lot of fun. Um, We might even sneak an actual play of it as we do sometimes, because that's also really fun. And yeah, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, do recommend it to a total stranger. uh, Or who else could they recommend it to?
1: Um, Recommend it to the one person you just want to get closer to. Mm Mm-hmm. And whether that's romantic or platonic, it's or political. all political. that matters at the end is just you want or political. Mm-hmm. Political advantage is always good, especially political closeness. Uh, yeah, write to your congressman, write to your congressman, and or throw is, them into a dumpster. I think the French are currently doing that right now.
0: Yeah, what is the gender neutral for congressman? Uh, congressional member, Congress, congressional member. Okay, write it to your congressional member. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. 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 Always nice to do that. Also, recommend us to your adventuring party, mm-hmm. which you are some for some reason how you connected to them. To figure that out. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And every day is Five Star Friday here at Inside the Table. If there's a game you like, go ahead and give it a five-star rating and recommend it. It's always fun to have reviews, have comments on things, and it, it it absolutely helps us out being able to read through and find out weird facts about various games. And it's always very fun and very, very, very great when people do it on on games you have written. So, without any further ado, I would like to finish off with a single word. Goodbye. 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 Farewell. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye?
1: Oh my God. Ollie is like cooking this beef thing downstairs, and I can just smell it as soon as I step out the door. It's so smells so fucking good. Mm.
0: I like the idea that the beef thing might just mean cow, but it could be anything.
1: (laughs) Well, like you know, we buy it from the grocery store, boot. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but like like, (laughs) you know, you buy it from the grocery store, and they just say it's beef. You don't know if that's true. (laughs) That's very funny. Pick up some really weird green meat. This is plant food. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Soylent Green is people.
0: It always weirds me <laughs> out that Soylent isn't actual food, right? You can buy Soylent from the shops. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, I would change that name.
1: Well, it's, especially it's, like the bad connotation of like, whenever I hear Soylent, I mean, I'll go, oh, Soylent Green is people. Oh, what the fuck?
0: Okay. Soylent is named after a food in Make Room, Make Room, a dystopian science fiction novel, which was the basis for the move, uh, movie Soylent Green. So it named itself after that. Uh, the, the company developed a following initially in Silicon Valley and received early financial backing from GV, the investment arm of Alphabet Inc. So the, the Alphabet Inc. owns Google um, and a venture capital firm and Horowitz. In 2021, the company announced it would it had become profitable, starting in 2020. So they named themselves. This is this is like, you know, that tweet about like, oh, don't make. Yeah, I'm I'm legitimately
1: searching for that tweet right now. Yeah, the, the, the
0: the like, don't use the death laser or whatever. Like, I can't quite remember what it is. Here we go.
1: Here we go. I found. I found it. Uh, A sci-fi author. In my book, I invented the Torment Nexus as a cautionary tale. Tech company. At long last, we have created the Torment Nexus from the classic sci-fi novel, Don't Create the Torment Nexus. (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck?
0: (laughs) This feels like that. (laughs) It is wild. Like, this might just be a normal thing, but the fact that it was founded in 2013 and only became profitable in 2020 is wild to me. Like, how does that happen? Is that just how business works? Oh my lord. Reinhardt also says he chose the name with its morbid associations to pique curiosity and deep investigation, since the name was clearly not chosen with a traditionally flashy marketing scheme in mind. What? I... Oh, interesting. Okay. In January 2013, American software engineer, very important, Rob Reinhart purchased 35 chemical ingredients, including potassium glutinate, calcium carbonate, mono- monosodium phosphate, maltodextrin, olive oil, all of which he deemed necessary for survival, based on his readings of biochemistry textbooks and US government websites. Reinhardt used to view food as a time-consuming hassle and resolved to treat it as an engineering problem. He blended the ingredients with water and consumed only this drink for the next 30 days. Over the course of the next two months, he adjusted the proportion of the ingredients to counter various health issues (laughs) and further refine the formula. Reinhardt claimed a host of health benefits from the drink and noted it had greatly reduced his monthly food bill, which fell from about US dollars, $470 to $155. And the time spent behind preparation and consumption of food providing him with a greater control over his nutrition. This is stupid. Just eat food. This is fine. It's good to spend money on food. My god. Oh, that's so- (laughs) I- Of course it's a software engineer. Like, just- We have to to stop engine- we have to stop the techies. Yeah, we have to stop them. Easy. Technology has been a mistake for the longest time, and I would like to change that. Um, I like also the the health effects segment of Wikipedia, which is, uh, the headings are uh, lead and cad- cadmium contents, kidney stones, and product recalls are the three, um, headings for this. Um, so... <laughs> oh my god, this is, maybe we should, like, not do this. I don't know. I'm so tired. Anyway, we should do a show. I'm ready. Full energy. Woo! Let's get let's get ready for it.